You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Koop. Today we're talking about when the Spirit of God being our teacher, Holy Spirit brings to life the truth from God's Word. We're going to talk about how He does that. Now in your notes is John 15, verse 26. Would you say with me tonight, thank you, Lord, for the book of John. Aren't you glad for the book of John? Sometimes the first book that we read when we find the Lord is the book of John. So tonight we're thankful for the book of John. John 15, 26, Jesus talking here says, But I will send you the counselor, the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. It's always truth. There's other kinds of spirits out there, but they're not the spirit of truth. Uh, Maybe part of a truth, but not the whole truth. But this is the spirit of truth. This is the week, Halloween week, and there's all kinds of weird things out there. And and, uh, but aren't you glad for the Holy Spirit? Not the weird spirit, the Holy Spirit. And he's what lives and resides in us. And greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And sometimes you go through a week like this, and there's all kinds of weird things and weird shows on TV and stuff. And aren't you glad that you are just abiding in the presence of God? And greater is he that's in you. And light dispels darkness. Dark spirits, they just kind of go, ooh, not going near there. Just kind of walk around that person because they got something greater on the inside of them, which is the Holy Spirit. So that's good to know, especially going into a week like this. So I'll send you the Spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father. Now look at the last part of the verse. He will tell you all about me. The Holy Spirit will tell you about Jesus. He will reveal Jesus to you. He is the greatest teacher. One of the things we need to learn about is Jesus. And he teaches you about Jesus. He reveals Jesus. He reveals the word to you. And that's what we'll talk about tonight. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 13 and 14, Paul writing there says, These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. See, the Holy Spirit's a teacher. You're the student, he's the teacher. You're the pupil, he's the instructor. And that means we have to have a teachable spirit to learn from the Holy Spirit. If we have an attitude, I know it all, I don't need you, Holy Spirit, well, then he just doesn't teach us. But if we have an attitude of, Lord, teach me, he loves to teach us. Paul goes on, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. You probably have some friends when you shared what God's doing in your life, they just say, oh, I have no idea what you're talking about because it's spiritually discerned. Next week we'll talk some more about that, how the Lord just has taken the veil off of our eyes so we can see Jesus for who he is. I really believe this. That if you see Jesus for who he really is, he is irresistible. There's a lot of misinformation about Jesus. There's this and that. But when you see Jesus for who he really is and the veil's been lifted, you go, that is Jesus. I want to know him. His eyes are pure. His love is pure. I want to know him. And the Holy Spirit says, I want to teach you about him. I'll teach you all about Jesus. And so he's here to teach us about him. Now, if you approach the Bible with your IQ, your academic ability, you're not going to get the revelation. It's great to have. We want to exercise our minds for sure. But really to understand the Holy Spirit teaching us, you have to lean into it with your spirit. It's the spirit that God's going to be working with your spirit on to teach and help you understand. 
If you approach the Bible just with your mind, you miss it. So again, we learn these truths out of our heart. This week in our life groups, and again, if you're not in a life group, just work with us. We're, we're getting more and more life groups going and started. The website will help you. Like Pastor Cheryl mentioned, people walking around with those red T-shirts downstairs with the Connect will help you get connected to one. In our life groups this week, Jim Simbola, Pastor Jim from there in New York, we're listening to his teaching, and he'll be talking there in that video about how the Word of God uh, in past times has been used wrong. Because you can, you can take God's word and you can use it in the wrong way. For he gives an example there how they, it's not, that's not God's, not God's way to have a, in years ago in time of slavery, they would take God's word and they would preach for slavery out of God's word. Or you could talk about how the Pharisees misuse God's word. They kind of cherry pick scriptures to build, to say what they want to say. And he says, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit works with the full counsel of God. And so you'll learn about that in this week's lesson, how the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into truth and brings life. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty, freedom. It would be so wrong where the Spirit of the Lord is slavery. How wrong would that be? So the Holy Spirit is guiding the truth. There's always freedom. Freedom. The Holy Spirit will reveal Jesus in the Word. We're talking about how, what he teaches us. One thing he'll teach us is that Jesus is in the Word. Now, to understand this, a bit of teaching tonight, the word word or scripture is translated in three, from three different Greek words. You're familiar with the word love being translated uh, into different words in the Greek, or we translate it from the Greek out of different words. So for love, they have the word agape, God kind of love. They have the word Filial, brotherly love. They have the word eros, erotic type of love. So it's, that word love is, comes from different Greek words. Well, the same thing with, for the word word or scripture. It comes from different words in the Greek. And so because the New Testament was written in the Greek, sometimes you go back and you look at that language to get a better understanding of the text. For that word word or scripture, there's the word graphe, which is writings or document the written word. So any magazine is that. Any newspaper, any novel is that graphe type of a word. This is, so if I read the Bible like that, I'll be reading it like a textbook, like a history book. And you can read the Bible like a history book, and it's accurate, and you can learn some things, but it's not really inspi- it doesn't inspire your heart. It's, it's just a book, and you read it. And a lot of times before we found the Lord, we read it, and just like, oh, you know what? It just Nothing even jumped out at me because you're reading it in that setting. Then there's the Logos. Logos is a concept or the embodying of an idea. It's the living word. In John chapter 1 where it says, and Jesus was the word. He was the embodiment of the word. He was the living word. So that's a different word, again, for the word word. There's graphe, then there's a logos. This is important when we understand how the Holy Spirit teaches us. Then there's this word rhema. And rhema is a specific word that the Holy Spirit brings to light. All of this is logos. All of this is living God-breathed word. But sometimes there will be a rhema word, which is a specific word for your case that your, the Holy Spirit will give your spirit. It just comes alive to you, and it becomes a spoken word. I believe, therefore, I spoke. It just comes so alive, you begin to speak. It becomes part of your life. Now, 
I've been studying the Bible for a while, but not all of this is really a, a part of my life. There's some verses that I hold on to. I've got my favorite verses and, and things that become a revelation. I speak it. I live it. That's what's become Raymond to me. But there's a lot of stuff that I'm still learning. It's, it's coming alive to me. So they have those three different types of words for that word, word. Now, look at John chapter 1. Oh, let me just say, say Raymond for a sec. You remember when Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. That's that word rhema. The rhema that I speak to you is spirit and life. That word will get in your spirit. It will come alive and it will be life to you. I remember the day I got a revelation that Jesus was a healer. That his name was Jehovah Rapha. And it became rhema. It just came alive in my spirit and I began to speak it. I had an incurable disease on my hand. The doctor said I'd have it the rest of my life. It was weeping eczema. But there was a day, I remember where I was, traveling on the road, and it just came alive in my spirit. Now, it took a number of months to go away, but it has been probably close to 30 years And that incurable disease is gone because the word became life. That spirit word became life in my spirit. It was a rhema. So he said, my words are rhema, the life that I speak to. They're spirit. They're words that are living. Romans 10, 17, you're familiar with that word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? Well, that word, word there is rhema. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema. The word, the Holy Spirit made alive in you. Faith comes when God's word comes alive in your spirit. You go, oh, wow, that's true. And then your faith is strong. So you have that, that aspect of God's word. And that's where the Holy Spirit works and teaches. What does he want to do? He come alongside to help us. It's not a difficult book. It can be very, I guess, very challenging and academic. But when you have the best teacher, when you have the best teacher, you can learn anything. Amen? And the Bible could be a challenging book. But we have the best teacher. Wow. And it ain't me. It's the Holy Spirit. He is the best teacher. He tutors you personally to understand God's word. Even as I speak tonight, I like what Pastor Greg Grishel said. He said, you know, when a preacher speaking or a teacher, the Holy Spirit does this. Because it comes out one way, but you hear something different. And you say, oh, yeah. And then afterwards, you say, man, that was so good what you told me, teacher. Pastor, that was so good you were talking about. You go, I didn't talk about that. It's because the Holy Spirit was talking to you. And he can take that truth and what comes alive to your neighbor may not come alive to you, but he's at work right now. Right now, the Holy Spirit's just illuminating. And something may not be everything, but there'll be something that'll just spark and become rhema to you even tonight. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, 14 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and beheld His glory. The glory has gotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word. Revelation 19, 13, it's not in your notes. It says, so he was clothed with a robe in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. Now, that's really important. And it can actually be kind of challenging for people to get that point. But we really, really got to get that point. Jesus is the Word of God. So somebody might say this. 
who is Jesus? And you would say, Jesus is the word. And you'd come back and say, I, no, I know Jesus is a word, but who is Jesus? You no, know, Jesus is the word. You know, I know Jesus is a word, but who is Jesus? No, Jesus is the word. No, I know Jesus is a word. No, Jesus is the word. Why? How can Jesus be the word? It reminds me of this clip I saw some time ago about Costello and Abbott, and it's called, Who is on Third Base? Have you heard that? Have you seen that? That's kind of like us, like, who is Jesus? He's the word. No, no, who? I'll show you the clip. It'll make more sense to you. Watch this little clip, because he's confused about third base. Who's on third base? The guy is here in this clip. He's saying, you know what? I like to play on this team. Can you tell me who the players are so I know their names? And he gives them their name, and he gets confused about first base. We get confused about this, so let's watch this, and it'll drive the point home, and we'll come back to it. I would like to join the retired actors' baseball team. Oh, you would? And I would like to know some of the guys' names on the team, so if I want to play with them, I know them, and I meet them on the street or in the home here, I can say hello to them. Oh, sure. But you know they give baseball players nowadays very peculiar names. You know, a lot of funny names. You know, like uh, Sticky, Sticky Fields. Sticky Fields. Uh, Goofy Dan. Boopy Bobber. Booby Bobber. Well, let's see. Now, we have on our team, we have who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find and out, that, the guy's name. And that, uh-huh. That's what I want to find out, the guy's name. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. Now, Abby, you want to be the manager of the baseball team? Yes. You know the guy's name? Well, I should. Well, you tell me the guy's name's on the baseball I team. I say, who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. You ain't saying nothing to me yet. Go ahead and tell me. <laughs> I'm telling him. You ain't said nothing yet. Go ahead and tell me. Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. You know the guy's I'll... name's on the baseball team? Yes. Well, go ahead. Who's on first? Yes. I mean the guy's name. Who? The guy playing first. Who? The guy playing first base. Who? The guy on first base. <laughs> who is on first? What are you asking me for? I don't know. <laughs> now, wait a minute. I'm, not... I'm asking you who's on first. That's his name. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. That's it. <laughs> That's his name. Well, you ain't said nothing. I ain't asked you nothing. You did. You know the guy's name on first base? Sure. Well, tell me the guy's name on first base. Who? <laughs> the guy playing first base. Who is on first, Lou? What are you asking me for? Now, don't get excited. I'm saying who. I'm asking you a simple question. Who's on first? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. That's it. That's who? <laughs> yes. I'm asking you, what's the guy's name on first oh, base? Oh, no. What's on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. <laughs> don't mix up my... I'm not mixing up anybody. Now, what's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who is on first? I don't know. He's on third. We're not talking <laughs> Whoa, 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 whoa. How did I get on third base? You mentioned his name. I mentioned his name? Yes. I don't know anybody's name on a team. I, uh, how could I mention a guy's name? You did. You just mentioned it. All right. What's the guy's name on third base? No, what's on second? Who's on second? Who's on first? I don't know. He's on first. You really? I didn't even mention a guy's name on third base. Yes, you did. All right, then. Who's playing third base? No, who's on first? I'm not asking you what's on first. What's on second? Who's on second? Who's on first? I don't know. He's third base. Third base. Third base. Third base. I, I don't know anybody on a baseball team. You do. You mention their names. I do? Sure. You got an outfield? Well, naturally. The left fielder's name. Why? <laughs> we'll stop there. <laughs> So who's on first? That's the guy's name. Of course, you figure that the guy's name is who, and you have this whole dialogue like they're mixed up, and uh, he can't get it straight. And then sometimes Christians say, who is Jesus? Jesus is the word. No, Jesus is the word. Who? No, Jesus is the word. What? Je- and this is a point that we're trying to drive. Jesus is the word. Would you say that with me tonight? Jesus is the word. Who's on third base? And Jesus is the word, okay? You got that point tonight. He is the word. In the beginning was the word. 
The Word was with God. His name in Revelation is the Word of God. Why? Because he is the Logos. He is the embodiment. He is the concept of God. If you want to see God, look at the Word. You want to see God, look at Jesus. You see God, you know him when you see the Word or when you see Jesus. So that's an important point. Unless the Holy Spirit reveals that to you, you can be like Costello out there and say, man, I'm confused. I'm mixed up. But if you get that... Mama, mama, my, you are a dangerous Christian because you can handle the word of God, the sword of God. You can do, you can believe in the word of God. This, why does the Holy Spirit want to teach you that? Because the faith that comes, the rhema that comes, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema, the word of God that comes alive in your spirit. Do we need help with this? You better believe it. Who helps us? The Holy Spirit came to teach us. You know, he loves you. The Bible says the love of the Spirit in Romans. The Holy Spirit really loves you. Oh, Jesus loves me. He does. Jesus loves me. This I know. We could sing, Holy Spirit loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. The Holy Spirit loves you. Wow. He's so personable, he's so stable, he's so gentle, he's so kind. Sometimes people act weird when they get around the Holy Spirit. But he's not weird. They just act weird when they encounter him. But Jesus, the Holy Spirit is not weird. Some people will shake, some people will fall, some people are quiet. And they have all kinds of reactions based on personalities to the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is not weird. He's loving, he's kind, he's gentle, he's powerful, and he loves you. So never measure or judge the Holy Spirit on somebody's reaction to the Holy Spirit. Judge him based on the Word of God. That's free. That's bonus. That wasn't in the notes, but there you go. All right. John, we talked about how, again, out of the book of John, how Jesus is revealed by the Holy Spirit. You know, one time, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus are walking along, and of course, they didn't realize they were talking to Jesus but Jesus had revealed himself in the scriptures to them. It says in Luke 24, just write this on the side of your notes, 24, verse 27 and 32, it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All the scriptures concern Jesus. From book of Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus. And if you, if you let the Holy Spirit teach you, he'll teach you in every book about Jesus. There's a scarlet thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. They said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? I put an example there in your notes. I love this example. I think we shared it some time ago, but threw it in there again. If you go to Genesis chapter 5, you can find the power of Jesus in genealogy. And here's an example of just one example in the Bible, how you see Jesus revealed. If you go to Genesis 5 and you would look up the definition of the names of the men in that genealogy, which are listed there, Adam means man, Seth means appointed, Enosh means subject to death, Canaan means sorrowful, Mahalalel means from the presence of God, Enoch means dedicated, Methuselah means dying he shall send. When Methuselah died, the flood came. Lamech means to, be, to the poor and lowly. Noah means comfort and rest. And so if you take that and you read those names together, 
you will see the good news. You will see Jesus in the genealogy of Genesis chapter 5. The Holy Spirit can bring it to life. And it reads like this. Man appointed and subject to death, sorrowful from the presence of God, one comes down, dedicated, dying. He shall send to the poor and lowly comfort and rest. Wow. How do we get that? Because the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And I, I didn't, I read that somewhere else and it just popped up to me. I thought, man, that is so powerful. Jesus is in the genealogy of Genesis chapter 5. What other nuggets are in there? I think we should go mining this week and just say, okay, Holy Spirit, I want to get into the Word. Don't you love reading the Bible? Thank you for those 10 amens. I mean, we, we should love reading God's Word, right? Yeah. When you see this kind of stuff, go, wow, where is that? I did a message one time on Easter called the 17th day of the seventh month. And just was seven times that one day is mentioned in the Bible. You, you do a study on it, you go, man. It says that Noah's ark came to rest on Mount Ararat on the 17th day of the seventh month. Why in the world does Moses record that? What difference does it make the day the boat landed on Mount Ararat? Because it's the same day that Jesus said it is finished. It is the same day that they passed through the Red Sea. It is the same day. There's seven times that date is mentioned, and they all prophetically point to the completed work of Jesus Christ. That is not an accident. It just gives me Holy Spirit goosebumps thinking about how inspired and how holy the book really is. All right. Or Roberts, back in 1953, one of my favorite messages, he preached a message called The Fourth Man. It's about the fourth man in the fire. Remember the story of three Hebrew boys got in the fire, and then they look down the fire, and they're not burnt up, and they see another man in the fire. He says he is like the Son of God. It's what we call a Christophany. A Christophany is when we see Christ in the Old Testament. We see him came to earth, he became incarnate, lived with us, was resurrected. But in the Old Testament, there is, we see him in different places, and that's a, that was called a Christophany. And so he preached on that, and Oral Roberts in his message, he said, he asked the question, who is this fourth man in the fire? And here was his answer. Who is the fourth man? And Oral Roberts said, I'll tell you who he is. In Genesis, he's the seed of a woman. In Exodus, he's a Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's the builder of the broken down walls of human life. In Esther, he is our Mordecai. In Job, he is our ever-living redeemer. Redeemer. Who is this fourth man? I'll tell you who he is. In Psalm, he's our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he's our lover and bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is a prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he is the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he is our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's a wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he is a fourth man. Life's fiery furnaces. Who is this fourth man? Well, in Hosea, he's a faithful husband. In Joel, he's a baptizer of the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's a mighty to save. In Jonah, he's our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he's a messenger of beautiful feet. In Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he is God's evangelist crying. Revive 
thy work in the midst of thy years. In Zephaniah, he's our Savior. In Haggai, he's the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's a fountain opened up in the house of David for sin and uncleanliness. In Malachi, he's a son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. Who is his fourth man, you ask? In Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, he's the wonder worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the Holy Ghost. In Romans, he's our justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, he's our sanctifier. In Galatians, he's our redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he's the Christ of unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he is the God who supplies all our needs. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In First and Second Thessalonians, he's our soon and coming king. In First and Second Timothy, He's our mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's our faithful pastor. In Philemon, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Who is his fourth man? I'll tell you who he is. In Hebrew, he is the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he's our great physician, for the prayer of faith shall save the sick. In First and Second Peter, he's the chief shepherd who will soon appear with a crown of unfading glory. In First and Second Third John, he is love. In Jude, he is the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints. In Revelation, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Who is his fourth man? He is a father to the orphan, husband to the widow. To the traveler of the night, he is a bright and morning star. To those who walk in the lonesome valley. He is the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon and honey in the rock. He's the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person, the king of glory, the pearl of great price, the rock in a weary land, the cup that runs over, the rod and staff that comfort, and the government of our life is upon his shoulders. Who is this fourth man? He is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of the living God, my savior, my companion, my Lord, and my king. Amen. We just went all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And all of that, the Holy Spirit said, man, I want to teach you. I want to reveal Jesus in the Scriptures to you. He is found from one end of the Scriptures to the other. Not only does the Holy Spirit want to teach us about Jesus, the Holy Spirit would also like to reveal what we have so that we can live in victory. One of the biggest problems, as we mentioned last week with Christians, is that we're very rich spiritually, but we don't know what we have. And one of the tasks that the Holy Spirit has taken upon is to instruct us what we actually have. Because the Bible says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That is past tense. The fullness of the Godhead bodily is in Christ and he dwells in us. You didn't get half the Holy Spirit when you got saved. You didn't get a quarter. You have all of the Holy Spirit living in you when you accept the Christ. You have all the Holy, when you come to Christ, you have all the Holy Spirit in you. The question is, does he have all of you? Does he have all of you? Sometimes the Bible says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And really, it's an ongoing word. Be filled and continue being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled and continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Some of you tonight need to just say, God, I want to give all of myself to you tonight. Just fill me, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 12 says this. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. No eye has seen, nobody, not Moses, not Noah, not Isaiah. No eye has ever seen what God has prepared for them that love him. Now, there's a but in verse 10. 
So that may, that's gonna, it's going to change it. So let's see what happens. No eye's ever seen this, but we know these things because God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. And the Spirit searches out everything and shows us even God's deep secrets. We are so privileged. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, and he will search out the deep things of God's heart, and he will reveal them to us. We live in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. We live in the dispensation of grace, a time when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all flesh, and we can know the deep things of God. We don't have to wait. You know, in the Old Testament, they had prophets would get up and declare, and they would go for years, another prophet. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and he will reveal to us the deep things. Okay. Yeah. And then it goes on to say, no one can know what anyone else is really thinking except the person alone, and no one can know what God's thoughts except for God's own spirit. And God has actually given us his spirit, not the world's spirit, So we can know the wonderful things, note the tense here, the wonderful things God has, has, past tense, freely given us. You've already got them. He's just trying to reveal what you have. It's like you got this huge inheritance and he's just trying to show you this is what you inherited in Christ. This is your inheritance. It's so rich. I want to reveal it to you. That that takes some digging. That takes some applying yourself. That takes some getting alone in your prayer closet and doing what you're doing tonight, being in the house, being in a life group. You're doing it, preaching to the choir tonight. But you cannot do what you're doing tonight and not have the Holy Spirit speak to you. You could do a lot of other things Saturday night, church, but you're not doing, you're not watching the game. You're not, you know, you're not shopping right now or, or sleeping or whatever else you could be doing. You said, I'm hungry for God on a Saturday night. You can't do what you're doing right now and not have the Holy Spirit say, man, I want to teach you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you worshiped tonight. I want to reveal Jesus, my word, truths that will help you live in victory. That's what he's excited about. Ephesians 6, 17, you'll know this verse, talking about the armor of God, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Now, we're talking about the Spirit, so that should get our attention. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Well, how does that work? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Because the Word there, which is the Word, that's that word rhema. So when does the Word of God become a sword for you? When it becomes rhema to you, when that word comes alive on the inside of you, it now becomes a sword for you to fight the good fight of faith. So that's why it's the sword of the spirit, because the spirit took God's word and he brought it to life to you. And now it becomes a weapon. And Jesus said to the enemy, it is written. It is written. It was a living word for him. Yeah. Let me give another example. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I put in the Greek word beside edged, two-edged. It's a word, dystostomus, dystomus, how you pronounce it, dystomus. Actually, you could break that word in two words, D-I and stomus in Greek. I'm not a Greek expert, but I can read a lexicon. D-I means two. Two, stomus means mouth, front, or edge. 
So let's read as two mouth. Two-edged means two mouth. So let's go back and read it again. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-mouth sword. Two-mouth. What would that mean? Why two-mouth sword? When does the word of God become powerful for you? God spoke it once, but how many know you can have a Bible in your desk, you can have a Bible on your app, and you can have a Gideon's Bible in your hotel, uh, you know, by your bed in a hotel room, but it does you no good unless you speak it. God spoke it once, but when you speak it, two mouth, two-edged sword, when you speak God's word out of your mouth, wow, then it is alive in your situation. Before that, it was not alive in your situation. Before that, my hands were not healed. They were sick. But when I, this word became alive in my heart, and I spoke out what God had already spoken out, by your stripes, by his stripes I'm healed. I am the Lord God that healed thee. When I spoke what he spoke, something became alive in my world. The spirit of God's word became alive. But I had to speak it. Rhema is the spoken word. It's always the spoken word. Holy Spirit makes it alive in our heart, and then we speak it. And life comes into our hurting world, wherever we need help. I'm going to preach myself happy tonight. So what is our response? A, we want to pray that our eyes would be open. Look at Psalm 119, verse 18. David said, open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your law. And we could say the same thing tonight. Lord, open my eyes. I want to see the truth in your word. I want to see Jesus in your word. Open my eyes. Now, we don't spend any time reading it. How many know that he's not going to show it to us? So we've got to spend some time reading it and hungering for it. And sometimes, you you know, you have to, you got to poke around a bit. You got to scratch around a bit. Just like a chicken goes out there scratching, you know. We used to feed our chickens and we'd get some wheat and we'd throw it out there and the chickens would go scratch around and then they'd, they'd find that kernel. You have to get in there and scratch around and all of a sudden, wow, it just comes alive to me. So you, but you have to reading for him to open your eyes. And then also, Ephesians 1.18, Paul prayed it. He said, I pray that your hearts, he was praying for others, that your eyes would be flooded with light so you can understand the wonderful future he's promised to those he called. Wonderful future. You have a wonderful future. You have a wonderful future. So I'm not so sure about that. If you saw my house, if you saw my bank account, if you saw this, you saw, I don't think it's so wonderful. That's not what God sees. God says, no, no, I have a hope for you. I've got a plan for you. You have a wonderful, wonderful future. But you don't know what I'm going through. No, but the Holy Spirit does. And Paul said, I'm praying that your eyes be open. What a wonderful future you have. Not just when you get to heaven in the sweet by and by. No, right now you have a wonderful future. And the Holy Spirit will reveal to you his word, how to live it out right now today. I want you to realize what a rich and glorious inheritance he has given. Again, past tense to his people. I pray that you'll begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power. goes on to say that raised Christ from the dead. Okay. One, we want to pray about it. Two... Very important, we want to be filled and continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't look for some substitute. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I asked this question earlier. Does the Holy Spirit have all of you? 
When you gave your life to Jesus, you have all of the Holy Spirit. But does he have all of you? I remember the day that Cheryl and I were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it really it was, he did not have all of us. And when we surrendered to him, he said, Lord, you have all of us. You know, because we think filling always comes from the outside, right? Because we fill up our car with gas. We fill up our stomachs with food. We fill up. So we kind of have this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit comes from the outside. He keeps pouring some st- something into my life. Oh, you know, I get kind of weary. I better get filled up with the Holy Spirit and pour some more into me. The Holy Spirit's in you already. He's already in you. All of God is in you. The fullness of God is in you. So it's not going to just, oh, a little, a little more, oh, let's top you up, a little more gas, a little more fuel, let's fill you up. No. It's, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again when we have allowed the world to come in, when we slacked off on following God. We say, I need a fresh filling. Really, it's I need to give myself back again to God so he can fill the areas that I took back from him. And so we, we go to the Holy Spirit, and, and, and we need to do it. We go through those seasons, okay, God, I need a, really, a fresh feeling. Really, I need you to invade my soulish realm. I need you to invade those areas that I took back or areas I had realized I hadn't given to you. Fill those areas, Lord. And when you fill the Holy Spirit, that's why it's so powerful when you pray in another language because our most unruly member of our body, James said, is the tongue. And so we yield that to him. That's why we pray in another tongue, in a spirit, because we yielded that most unruly part of our body to him, filled with the spirit. Lord, you can even have my tongue, my rudder of my life, yielding to him. So it says here in Ephesians 5.18, I've got to wrap up, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Amen? That's true. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill you and control you. Let me ask you a question. Why do people get drunk? Disassociation. Yeah. Why do people get drunk? All kinds of reasons. One of the reasons they get drunk is I want to feel happy. It's called happy hour, right? So we go get some drinks, I'll feel happy. It's a counterfeit to the joy of the Holy Spirit. One of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. It's a cheap counterfeit. Why do people get drunk? I need confidence. I need boldness. Get a, you know, it's uh, liquid courage. Get a couple of drinks under my belt, and you know, now I have the courage to stand up and speak, to do something. I would never ask that girl out, but give me a couple of drinks, man. I'll go up and talk to her. I, I'm, I have also this courage. But the Holy Spirit says, I will give you power. All that gave you was an artificial courage. Holy Spirit says, I'm not giving you artificial courage. I will give you power power. That thing will never give you. It's a counterfeit. That's why Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. Don't settle for a substitute. Be filled with the power of His Spirit. And the day of Pentecost, they stood up and they said, it's in the afternoon. Now, these guys have been drinking. Why did they think they'd been drinking? One, they were very happy. Two, because they had incredible courage. They were standing up, speaking about the wonderful mysteries of God in front of everybody, and they were just so bold. They said, did you guys get some liquid courage? Or how did you, where are you, why are you, how are you doing this? He said, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's genuine. It's real. It's actual power. Not just you, you know, kind of counterfeiting your own ability. This is real power that flows through you. So be filled with the Spirit, Paul says. I think that's important even as we go into this week, that we're filled with the Spirit. 
How do I be filled with the Spirit? How does God's Spirit come into my life? Again, God's Spirit comes into our life when we accept what Christ did for us. He said to Nicodemus, Jesus, the Spirit of God will come into you. You will be made new on the inside. You will be born again. His Spirit will come and dwell in your spirit when you accept what I've done for you. When I, I lay down my life, I sacrifice my life that you could have a renewed spirit, renewed with God. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. 